Well, as you're turning to John 8, I want to introduce you a little bit to Tom Johnson. Uh, his birthday is December 16th. And if I were to, you know, get something for his birthday this next December, I would probably buy him something from North Face. That's what he likes. He's an outdoors type of guy. Uh, just a tidbit of information. Last February, he put his brick home up for sale in uh, South Carolina and uh, then moved to North Carolina where he lives now. He graduated from Virginia Tech. Any, anybody else from Virginia Tech? No? Okay. Member of the uh, fraternity Phi Kappa Psi. And sometimes he even gets together with some of his old college friends. They go uh, golfing, Firethorn Country Club. In fact, recent, one of their recent times together, he and his buddies celebrated uh, the 27th anniversary of his friend who had a, a bone marrow uh, donor that was a match. And so they got together, golfed again. It was on the 27th anniversary that they had found a match for that friend. And obviously he was still living, so they had a good time of celebration Took his two teen children to Grand Cayman Islands about a year ago. That sounds really fun about right now. So he went there with them. Uh, shortly after that, he posted a picture of his daughter, Landry. She was in eighth grade and uh, went to an eighth grade dance. So he posted a picture of her. And then also of uh, Logan. Nickname is Logo. Uh, but Logan got his driver's license this past December. So he posted a picture of him. Was pretty proud of the two, two of them. Uh, Landry's in ninth grade. And, uh, and um, by the way, she loves chocolate ice cream. Tom's son, Logan, if you knew Tom you would, and you saw Logan, you would pretty soon realize this is Tom's son. I mean, they look almost identical, except that the son wears glasses and Tom, Tom doesn't. Tom enjoys skiing. He goes to Park City, Utah from time to time. And uh, although he lives in North Carolina, he loves to spend time skiing and do different things uh, like that and go snowmobiling. Now, I want to share with you what my connection is with Tom Johnson. Nothing. I've never met him. I spent a few minutes on Facebook and his, his profile happened. I just tried to figure out, okay, what's some common names? Johnson's a pretty common name in the United States of America. Tom is a pretty common name. So I'm going to look up a Tom Johnson. And I spent a few minutes looking at Tom Johnson's profile, and I learned all of that from his public profile on Facebook. Now, if Tom Johnson were to walk in the back today, I would probably recognize him because I, I saw his picture, I saw a lot of his posts, and I would even be able to carry on a fairly decent conversation with Tom. Now, besides the fact that he would be very weirded out that I began asking him, but I could say, hey, how's Landry doing? How's the transition been from middle school to high school? Is she doing okay? She's got a, does she have a dance coming up? What about Logan? Has he hit a mailbox yet? I mean, how's his driving coming? Are you going skiing again? Have you been to Utah recently? And how's that golf game of yours? Have you gotten together with your buds? And he'd be like, what in the world? Now, why is this interesting? Because I know a lot about Tom Johnson, but I've never met him. So there's things that I don't know about Tom. I don't know, was he, was, did his wife die? Are they divorced? What are some of his greatest fears? What are some of his greatest goals for his two teen children? Uh, what makes, what, what is Tom's passion seriously? I mean, I don't know these things about Tom. And unfortunately, many of us, we have that type of relationship with God Almighty. We know a lot about God. We know some facts. And maybe even as believers, although we're, we're children of God, sometimes we look into God's word and we're just looking for more facts. We just want to kind of pull out something. Of, How's this going to help me today? What's a nugget that I can get just to kind of get me through? And we don't know, we don't pursue to know God intimately. 
Now, God reveals to himself to us in many different ways, including different names. And there's a name that that Jesus used that links himself to the divinity, to deity of the Old Testament, the Yahweh of the Old Testament. Sometimes we hear of it as Jehovah. But Jesus links himself with the Yahweh of the Old Testament. It links the Passover that we've already heard a little bit about this morning to the Easter celebration today. It's a name so powerful, in fact, that at one point when Judas was in a demonic way betraying Jesus Christ, who he had spent several years with, and they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, a place that he had been often with Jesus and the disciples, but as he was about to uh, betray Jesus, Jesus saw there was a band of soldiers, there were some officers of the religious elite, and Jesus walked up to them and said, who do you seek? And they answered, Jesus of Nazareth, and Jesus then at that moment said, I am. And at that very moment, the band of soldiers and the religious elite officers fell on the ground, the Bible says, because of a two-word, three-letter name that Jesus says, I am. Now, we say this all the time, right? I mean, if I meet someone, I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm David Huffman, and I am Kim's husband, or I am Michael's dad. Uh, most of the time, I'm proud of that. Sometimes I'm not, but, you know, I'll say, I, I am. And you do the same. Now, what if I were to go to the KSU campus and start walking around, and I started, you know, to talk to someone, and I just said, hey, I am. What do you think the student or students would think after I said that? Yeah, they'd be like, okay, go on. I mean, what? You are what? Who are you? What are you doing? And why are you talking like that? I am. But for Jesus, that was enough. Jesus, within the, that three letters, those two words, it was a wealth of information, and he declares himself to be the eternal present God. Look with me in John chapter 8, if you would. And this, this caused a huge stir that when he used this name, it was considered by the unbelieving Jews as so blasphemous that they took up stones and wanted to kill Jesus because they immediately knew Jesus is claiming to be the Yahweh, the great I am of the Old Testament. Let's jump into John chapter 8 and see what happens. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Now, you and I cannot say that. I can give you some tidbits. I, I mean, I'm not in the medical field, but I could take a pretty safe guess and say, you know, if you exercise regularly and you watch your, you, you know, what you eat, I think that's going to be good for you. But I could not say, if you follow my advice, you're not going to see death. But Jesus did. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? It is my father who glorifies me. No, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. 
So these unbelieving Jews were claiming, yes, we believe in the God of the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, that is the very God who gives credit, who, who glorifies me. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, oh, this is just common sense question. You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, what's the next? Let's say it together. One, two, three. I am. And that was the answer. Before Abraham was, Jesus says, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. 2,000 years had passed from the birth of Abraham to the, to the incarnate birth of Jesus Christ. Yet Jesus here is without, without uh, shame, without any explanation, saying, before Abraham was, he didn't say, I was. He said, no, before Abraham was, I am. Claiming that, yes, he has always been in existence. He didn't just come a little bit before Abraham or have this special vision, but no, I am. There's two things that we'll see throughout the book today, but in, in the, throughout the book of Genesis, one of the names, especially as, as God reveals himself to Moses, he says that I am, and we'll see that I am hath sent you, but then he says um, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, and the next slide I think will show, show that. Okay, so it's just the, the consonants. That's difficult for us to pronounce that, that name without the vowels, Right? Yahweh. Yahweh. So they took that, they, they used the, the, the consonants. Some believe that they only used the consonants out of reverence. And so they didn't want to, you know, uh, be irreverent when they said the name of Christ. Others have said, well, that's part of the, the, you know, Hebrew language. But then they took the vowels of Adonai and put it in, into the, the consonants there to say Yahweh. The closest Latin equivalent of that, the next slide will show the closest Latin equivalent of those letters is J-H-V-H, what we know and hear oftentimes also as Jehovah, as Jehovah. And God has revealed himself to us as the eternal present God. So in the very beginning, in Genesis 1-1, the very first verse, it takes already as an assumption, as truth that's already been established, in the beginning, who? God. He's already there. There's no process for God to evolve, to come into being. It says, no, in the, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then you fast forward all the way to Revelation, all the way to the end of the New Testament. In Revelation 1.8, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. A couple of things I want to show and remind you this morning. First of all, I am is not limited by time. I am is not limited by time. So in Jesus' days, many of the religious Jews were expecting this Messiah to come and liberate them from the Roman rule, but yet Jesus comes and he claims to be the Messiah. He then identifies himself, yeah, before Abraham was, I am. But yet many of the religious Jews and the, the elite Jews were very confused because they expected the Messiah to liberate them from Roman rule, and Jesus was not doing that. In fact, that's one reason why we see the difference from last Sunday, Palm Sunday, and the message that my dad preached, and, and many 
usher, were trying to usher him in, and then all of a sudden change, it seemed, and begin at the end of the week to say crucify him. Because Jesus didn't come, first of all, to be king of Israel, but to be king in our hearts to redeem us from sin and, and provide freedom. He will come as the king of kings, but that was not the appointed time. But also, all the way back to as Israel was a young nation. God had made a covenant to Abraham and said, Abraham, of your descendant, of your son, Isaac, I'm going to make a great nation. Well, what happens when we find them in Exodus? They're under slavery. They're treated as slaves in Egypt. What happened to the great Yahweh? What happened to the great you know, co- covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of this great nation? We're still in bondage. But yet the I am is not limited by time. Everything that you and I do is limited by time. I think, and you think, and we we plan our calendars, and we think about the past, and we think about the present, and we look forward to the future most of the time, unless it's something scary. But we think in elements of time. God doesn't. He's above that. I am is not limited by time. Exodus chapter 6 and verses 2 through 5 God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. Just a little bit of information. When you see the Lord in all caps, that is an indication that it is there for the term Yahweh. 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 So God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. Also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. This is very interesting because there is evidence in in other chapters in Genesis that Abraham did know the name Yahweh. So what does this mean? I believe Hebrews gives us an idea that, yes, God had revealed himself in a a, uh, a linear way that I am Yahweh, but he's coming to Moses and he's saying, now I will show you. You are going to see how I fulfill what I originally told to Abraham and the covenant that I promised him and even the name that he, they knew me by, but they didn't really see and experience the Yahweh that you're about to see Moses in the nation. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. It's going to be on the screen as well. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Then jumped to verse 3. Not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. What does that mean? Well, as Abraham began to see God's miraculous works and even giving them a son late in years when it wasn't really possible, they shouldn't have been able to have children, but they gave, God gave Isaac. Then Abraham began to see from afar, okay, God is beginning to fulfill his covenant, but he didn't see all that was promised. So we continue on. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And all these, this is verse 39 of Hebrews 11. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So I believe God is, is meeting Moses here in Exodus and says, Okay, they, they really did not know me by this name, but you're going to see. You're going to see how I, I am who is greater than time, who is above the time that you, you and I know as humans. You will see the works that I'm about to do. I want you to think with me. Look in the next. Okay, this is a, imagine with me you're doing a little bit of video editing. 
Okay, I, I don't do a lot, but I have done some video editing through, my, through the years and coming up with some ministry updates. And so I'll, I'll, it's been very elementary, but I'll, I'll bring in the video software program and I'll do different clips. And imagine that you are, you are this line right here, okay? As you move this line through the, the track here, you see only that moment, that second in the, in the video clip, in the larger video clip of exactly what's happening right then. And that's kind of like our life. As we go through life, we see exactly what's happening then, but we don't see the big picture. We don't know everything that God is doing and how he's working. As Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did not see. As Joseph didn't even see the great picture. And he was going to continue to reveal himself to Moses and to Israel and say, I'm going to show you more. But God is like, okay, understand that the illustration kind of breaks down here. As I do this editing... I can see the whole thing. I can see the past. I can see before this, you know, if I move this line, I can see before that. I can see at the very moment. I can see the end. I've got a broad picture of all that that shows. And in a, 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 huge, a lot bigger of a way that we can't even imagine, God sees everything. He's not living in the past, present, and future. But yet we do. And we wonder sometimes, and we get concerned and overwhelmed. I do, but it's encouraging to remember that Jesus, who said to the Jews, listen, before Abraham was, I am. And that's exactly who he is still to us today, just as he was in the New Testament, and just as he's about to show Israel, I am, in the covenant that I gave, I'm still working. This is still happening. So the promises that he makes... They're, to God, they're just as good as having already been done because he sees the whole thing. He doesn't have to wait. There's no dates. There's no upcoming events that he uh, announces. It is all truth to him. Secondly, we see I am reveals his power. I am reveals his power. Because God works in this way, sometimes we can see a greater power, a greater revelation of God's power than even if he were in the confines of time. As I've already mentioned, he made a promise to Abraham and Sarah that I'm gonna make a great nation of your descendants, but for many, many, many years, they didn't have a son. Well, that's kind of a small detail. I'm gonna make a great nation of your descendant. Well, yeah, but I got, I, I kinda need a son. And they tried to do it halfway, and they, so they did you know, Ishmael and, and didn't do it in God's design. And then eventually, God showed them, listen, even though, even when it's not possible, I will show you that I'm going to make good. And he, performed, he, he gave the miracle of Isaac as their son. God called on Abraham to offer his only son, Isaac, as a sacrifice. So, an interesting, Stephen and I, my brother-in-law, were talking a little bit about this last night. That was common, even of the other gods but Yahweh? But yet we see that God, all along, he did, he, God wasn't sweating it out. Oh, goodness, I wonder if Abraham's going to kill his son. He knew, he, he wanted Abraham and Isaac both to see that at the, very, at the very moment, he would provide a ram. And already begin to show, this is Jesus Christ. This is the message of redemption from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Then as we see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then Joseph's story unfold, we might even think, you know, that God would have used Joseph at the peak of his power in Egypt 
to lead the people out of Egypt. If God had promised Abraham, and he had, that he would take them to the promised land, well, Joseph was second in power, and they were, uh, Joseph was very well respected, and the Israelites were favored because of Joseph. And it would have seemed that God would have said, okay, this is a good time to lead my nation out. But he didn't. In fact, some of Joseph's last words, you'll see it here in the passage in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph says this to his brothers in verses 24 and 25. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will visit you and bring you up out of the land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph was as sure that the, that the God who had promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of this great covenant, Joseph was so sure that he told his brothers, listen, this is going to happen. And when it does, I want my bones to be taken from this area of Egypt, and I want it to be taken to the promised land. And God will work. 300 years passed before Moses would be called to lead the nation in our time frame. 300 years pass. As I look at Moses, you know, he was about to be killed as an infant. There was a death decree that Pharaoh had declared, and Moses was supposed to be killed as an infant, but his parents, by faith and by, by great courage and God, uh, saved him and, and kept him for a time, and then carefully laid him in the water and, and hoping that he would be spared, and he was. Again, God wasn't surprised. God was goodness, he's in the water. What do we do now? No, Pharaoh's own daughter rescued Moses, and then Moses was taken back to the palace to be raised as a prince, but notice this, in the palace of the enemy. If you and I had, were kind of watching that as a movie, I would have predicted, okay, this is when it's going to happen. Moses has been in the, in, in the palace. He's been raised as a prince. So Moses is going to use his influence. He's going to broker a deal. And he's going to talk Pharaoh into allowing his people to go out. But no, that doesn't happen. In fact, we, we find Moses in, in, a, in a pasture. He's not in the palace anymore. He's in a pasture and he's, he's a shepherd. And in fact, he had killed an Egyptian in defense of a, of, of a Hebrew. And because of that, he had to, he had to run for his life. He, he knew his reputation would be marred. He didn't know what would happen. So now he's, he's out of that arena and has been for quite a while. And he's in a pasture caring for sheep. But yet notice what we find in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. He's still, God is still in the business of showing his power. And he says, Moses, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Lastly, we see through this, and we're going to look through the passage, I am reveals his purpose. He wants to personally relate with mankind. God is not an, an impersonal God that just does the big things in the universe, you know, creation, and kind of keeps it somewhat. No, he, he wants to personally relate with you and with me. And he has all the way back in the Old Testament. Notice with me in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. Then the Lord, so that's again Yahweh, then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. You get that? 
There is, a, there is a relationship here. And he says, I've seen it. I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. I don't know about you, this brings me great encouragement because I don't think the Israelites always felt that. When they were being treated as slaves and when they, when they were you know, having to make the bricks and, and all of these circumstances, I don't know that every day they woke up feeling like, God knows. He knows exactly what we're feeling. I don't think they felt like, like that, and you and I don't. In the middle of some dark times and, and difficult circumstances, sometimes, I'll be honest, as a human, I wonder, God, do you, do you know? Do you know what's going on? And what's your plan, God? What's the next step? How's this going to work out for me? How's this going to work out for my family? How's this going to work out for my loved one? But he's reminding us here, listen, I see these things. I hear these things. You are my people. And he, comes, he goes on and says, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, this is interesting. And, and don't crucify Moses yet, because I think I would have said some of the same things that Moses did. It says, but Moses... So God, is he's already said, listen, I see these things, I hear these things, you're my people, I'm going to deliver you out of the hands of Pharaoh. And then, but Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God said, he said, but I will be with you. And this, this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So as Moses is seeing God in the burning bush, and as God is giving some very specific instructions, Moses, this is what I want you to do. It's interesting, uh, just recently, Tina, who's here today, she said, wouldn't it be nice if God gave us a daily to-do list? And we just woke up and we could open maybe, you know, our, our divine app on our phone, our God app, and it says, okay, this is what I want you to do today. I mean, sometimes we would think that would be helpful. I just, I'm going to check off these things. Well, God's kind of doing that to Moses. He says, this is what I'm calling you to do. But Moses says, oh, who am I? And God says, I'm going to be with you. And this shall be the sign for you. You shall serve God on this mountain. Moses is your on holy ground, as you see me in the burning bush, I'm going to deliver Israel out of the land of Egypt. And at one point, you will worship God on this mountain. He goes on and says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That doesn't sound like really a good answer. Well, okay, I am who I am. Oh, it's like, well, wow, what does that mean? Well, he's reminding Moses again, listen, I'm the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So I am the eternal present God. And I want you to be reminded a little bit of my character of who I am as God. I am who I am. I'm the eternal present God. He goes on and he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, you notice that it's all caps, and so this is when he says, the Lord, Yahweh, or Yahweh, 
the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. But you notice, Moses, you and I would have asked some of the same questions, I I think. And Moses asked a question, instead of saying, you know, God, I want to learn more about you. I want to see even more of your power. No, he says, who am I? Who am I? He asked the wrong question, and you and I probably would have done the same. Moses has been out of the arena for many, many years, and he's probably thinking, you know, God, I, I, killed, I killed an Egyptian. If I go back, I mean, what leverage am I going to have? And I, I'm not well known anymore. I'm not, the, I'm not the prince in the palace anymore. I've, just, I've been out here as a shepherd. But God continues to assure him, I'm going to be with you. And Moses may even think, listen, I'm, I'm trying to broker this deal with Pharaoh to just all of a sudden allow 500,000 plus uh, men to just leave the country. Imagine a half a million of a workforce, most likely, of men that just all of a sudden is, is gone. Doesn't sound like a good deal for Pharaoh in Egypt, but it didn't matter because the I am was saying, Moses, I'm going to work. This is what I'm going to do right now. Moses continues in Exodus 4, he says, well, the Israelites won't listen to me because what if they say, no, I don't think the God of our fathers has revealed himself to you. Exodus 4.10, I'm not a good speaker, God. I'm not eloquent. I just don't have a way with words. Exodus 4.11, God said, listen, I made your mouth. Who, who, who made your mouth? Well, I did. I am. He's, he's reminding Moses, listen, I am the eternal present God. I'm the one who made your mouth. I'm the one who can give you this, this power. Exodus 4, 13 and 14, Moses continues to raise objections. And finally, God says, out of it says God actually got angry and says, All right, I'm going to send Aaron, your brother. But I want you to think, don't just think about this as a history lesson, an Old Testament history lesson. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Because this is a moment of conflict, of personal conflict for Moses where God's calling him to do something that does not seem normal, he doesn't feel like he's prepared for, but this is also a huge moment of conflict for the nation of Israel. As God had promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, this covenant and this great nation, but yet they're slaves right now. How's God going to perform that? And he simply says, I am. And you and I, we face problems all the time. And we wonder, God, I know that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever as I read in Hebrews about Jesus Christ. I know that you're the steadfast God, as the psalmist says in Psalm 63. But God, how? What what are you going to do? How are you going to work through this thing? And God wants to remind us, just as he was reminding Moses, and just as he was saying, I want the nation of Israel to know and, and experientially know that I am Yahweh. He's saying to you, and he's saying to me, listen, I want you to know that I am. I, I'm here. I'm working. I'm always present. I always have been and I always will be. And I see the whole picture You don't have to get all concerned and worried. Look to me as the great I am, the eternal present God. Exodus 6, 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of of his land. 
The next few verses we've already read about how he had not revealed himself so fully to Abraham. And then we jump ahead to Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Remember all caps, I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord, all caps, I am Yahweh. He's saying, Moses, this is an exciting time. I know you're in slavery and I know you don't think you're ready, but I am is sending you and this is gonna happen. I'm gonna deliver it. So you'll see, you're not just gonna hear, you're not just gonna hear about the covenants and the promises that I made to your forefathers, and, 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 but you're gonna see it. And boy, did they. As God began to use some phenomenal, the plagues of Egypt, but spared the people of Israel and they began to see God's power revealed. This is the same reason that Jesus uses the I am statements in John. He doesn't want us to serve God in just a kind of a Tom Johnson type of way where we know a lot of things about God, but he wants us to to understand not just that he, yes, is Yahweh, but that he wants to personally relate with us. And we're going to run through, I'm going to give you kind of a postcard version of some of these I am statements. And then in a few weeks, Lord willing, we're going to continue this series and look through all of these I am statements in a lot more of a journey type of way. But here's the postcard way. Here we go. First of all, the bread of life. I am the bread of life and life-giving water, John 6 and verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. As I stand here, I see a couple tables still with food on the tables. Just a few minutes ago, as we were around the tables there, we were all enjoying the bagels and the donuts and the fruit and the coffee and the orange juice. We, as humans, enjoy eating. Amen? And that's, there's nothing sinful about that. So physically, uh, but we understand that you, know, you can't live very long without bread and water. Tomorrow, a routine procedure that I have to have done because I'm getting older, I have to start a fast, a 24-hour fast at noon tomorrow. I'm not looking forward to that. I enjoy eating. So physically, we know that, yes, we've got to have bread and water. You know, spiritually, if you think about it, the world offers an all-you-can-eat buffet of all different types of things that we can feed ourselves on spiritually and we can try to find satisfaction and all different things that we think are gonna be that, that water that, get, that satisfies our thirst. And Jesus is saying in the New Testament, it reminds us, I'm the bread of life. I'm the only one that can give you something that will truly satisfy you. As you continue to look to the world for their, for their all-you-can-eat buffet, you're gonna keep going back, you have to. It will not satisfy you. Your job's not going to satisfy you. Sex is not going to satisfy you. Drugs won't satisfy you. Sports won't. There's nothing in this world that can replace the very bread of life that Jesus says, I am the bread of life. 
I'm the only one that can give you the satisfaction that will last for all of eternity. I'm the only one, as we heard a few weeks ago, to the Samaritan woman at the well who said, I'm the only one that has eternal water that as you, Samaritan woman, are looking for satisfaction, looking for acceptance. I'm the only one that can give that to you. I'm the bread of life and the life-giving water. I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here and maybe you know a little bit about Jesus, you've heard some things and it's Easter weekend, it was a good weekend to come and I'm so glad you're here. But I want to encourage you, don't satisfy for anything less than the bread of life that Jesus Christ has to offer you. You may have some temporary pleasure in some of the things that you seek after in the world, but I guarantee you every single time you're going to have to come back. You're going to have to come back again. You're going to have to come back again. And, after, and many times, it, you're going to fall up short, and you're going to like, this doesn't satisfy. What's, what can fill that void in my heart? It's only God. Only the eternal, present God, I am Jesus Christ, the bread of life. Then we, we're going to zoom through the rest. The next, I am the light of the world in John chapter 8 and verse 12. I am the door of salvation in John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd in John 10 as well. I am the way, the truth, and the life And then in John 15, I am the true vine. But I left out one. I left out one, and I want to finish this last section with that. God not only wants to relate to us personally, but he wants to eternally redeem mankind. He wants to eternally redeem mankind. Notice with me in John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, this would be to Martha, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And I find find this so interesting. He looks at Martha, who he knew well, and he says, do you believe this? Now Martha, again, just like Moses was in a moment of conflict and Israel was in a moment of conflict, Martha is grieving the loss of her brother. Martha and Mary had a close relationship, so close, in fact, that they sent word to Jesus and said, Jesus, Lazarus is sick, we need your help. And I fully believe that Martha and Mary expected that Jesus would come just like that. They thought, okay, this is all right, we know Jesus, Jesus, we're going to send word to him, and because of our connection, our friendship, Jesus is going to come, Lazarus is going to be okay, but he didn't. And we see again, I am is greater than time. I am doesn't, doesn't operate in our time frame, in our, on our calendar, and Jesus waited. And when he finally comes, Martha and Mary both are like, Jesus? If you had been here earlier, Lazarus would still be alive. And Jesus says, well, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then ask her, do you believe this? Now, Martha did believe that Lazarus at one point, I mean, she even said, yes, I I believe in the resurrection, but, but the idea was in the final day. She didn't expect in any form or fashion that Jesus would bring Lazarus back to life that day. But Jesus waited on purpose. And as more people had gathered for that day, as more people were there mourning, as Mary and Martha had pretty much given up hope, and at the moment that Jesus said, all right, you know, go to the tomb, and, and I'm going I'm to take the stone away. And Martha, 
I, I, I can't wait to meet Martha. Martha's, she, she's into the details, right? Martha was the one who, at the supper, she's rushing about, and she's you know, doing the water over here, and she's getting the sweet tea and squeezing the lemon and doing all this stuff, and Mary's listening. And Martha goes, Jesus, look at my sister. I mean, you know, she's not even concerned. And Jesus says, Mary's chosen the better thing. She's sitting at my feet. So we kind of learn a little bit about Martha's personality. And so as Jesus says, roll the stone away, Martha kind of pipes in and goes, hold on, Jesus. It's been four days. It's been four days. There's going to be a bad smell. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And because the I am is greater and is above our time, his power and his glory was revealed all the more because he waited. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I want to finish this last slide. shows there is a huge, as we've already touched on a little bit this morning, as Molly, thanks for for all the information she shared, there is a huge connection between the Exodus account of the first Passover and Jesus who tells Mary and Martha, I am the resurrection of the life. And not only does it to Lazarus, but is in preparation for the greatest resurrection, his own life himself as he gave his life on the cross And I want you to see these things. We see that God would use this final plague, death decree, and all the firstborn of uh, not, not only of humans, but also of the livestock. But those who followed in faith the instructions of Yahweh for the very first Passover would experience redemption of life. First, we see that it's by way of a lamb without blemish, Exodus 12, 5. You can read that later, but notice the parallel in 1 Peter 1, 19. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Hebrews 4, 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, without blemish. But also by way of a substitutionary sacrifice, God brings our eternal redemption. Exodus 12, 6 and 7 says that the head of the family was supposed to take this lamb without blemish. And at twilight was supposed to sacrifice the lamb, not breaking any bones. That was fulfilled even in the crucifixion of Christ, that his bones were not broken. And they were to sacrifice this lamb at twilight. And then they were supposed to apply the blood on the sides of the door and across the top. You know, think about that for a minute. I don't think they were thinking about, oh, wow, that's, that's kind of like the motions of a cross. I don't think they were thinking about that, but I, I don't think it's coincidence. That as they put the blood on the side post and then along the top and then on the other side as well, it was a foreshadowing that cannot be ignored that that very first Passover, as, as they were about to head out of Egypt, pointed forward to the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. And 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The result is life-giving redemption. There we see in Exodus, we see that the destroyer comes and wherever the blood was applied and wherever those instructions had been carried out in faith, in Yahweh's instructions, they were spared But then even in a greater way and in an eternal way, as we see the the blood that Jesus Christ shed for us, and as we place our faith and receive that gift of salvation, it leads to eternal and life-giving redemption. 
Exodus 12, verse 23 says, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. That's why John in John 1, 29, John the Baptist says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In Hebrews 9, 12, it says, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing what kind of redemption? An eternal redemption. And then Hebrews 9, 14 and 15, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, verse 15, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. There's no mistake. There is a a direct parallel, direct connection with the Passover of the Old Testament that the Jews celebrated, and unfortunately, so many unbelieving Jews, all the unbelieving Jews, in fact, have missed that connection. But the Bible, in a very obvious way, says Jesus is our Passover lamb. There's going to be a mixed response. Just like there was as Jesus fed the 5,000 plus, because there was 5,000 men and there's more. And so as he fed the 5,000 plus, but then he began to talk more about, I'm the bread of life and I'm the water that you'll never thirst again. And notice what happens as we close in John 6, verses 66 through 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They were interested in the free meal. They were interested in seeing the signs that Jesus did. But as he started talking about this, you know, bread of life and you have to, you know, trust in me and this eternal water, many of them are like, no, that's not for me. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And I love Peter's response. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, To whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, was Peter always on target, yes or no? No, he wasn't. And as humans, in our limited understanding, there's going to be times where where we wonder, you know, is this all really true? I mean, is this like this big story? But every time I have some of those temptations, I come back, and in other words, I begin to even say myself, but if I didn't believe in Jesus, who would I believe in? What evidence do I see that's that's more compelling? What change in people's lives do I see that's more compelling than Jesus Christ? What transformation has happened in my life that's more compelling than continuing to believe in Jesus Christ? And the answer, like Peter said, there's nowhere else to go. Jesus is the answer. He is our Passover lamb. He is the life and the resurrection. And as he asks Martha in that moment of crisis as she was grieving the loss of her brother, says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then ask her, do you believe this? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we close today?